Jesus said that he would build his church. For over 130 years, he has allowed Northridge to be just a small piece of that. He doesn't need our help. He said he would do it. Jesus said, I will build my church, but I want you to be a part of it. Sometimes when we, we love to do something, we often get consumed by it. Maybe it's a, a hobby or an activity that we indulge in. And many times if we love something or we love to do something, we can get so consumed with it that we miss out on what's going on in the rest of our lives. You know, for me, it's building things. I love to, to build things, try new things, and my wife is kind of in interior design, and so she's often having this list of things that she wants me to do in our house. And about six months ago, she said, Drew, I would love for you to build a fireplace in our bedroom. And so I began to do some research. I began to kind of figure out what this looks like, how I can make this happen. And so I began doing some studying, and I love to build things. I get lost in this journey of, of trying to accomplish something that maybe I probably shouldn't try in the first place. And so about six months ago, I, I started this project. It was a Friday. Uh, it's my day off. I started pretty early, and I'm just grinding it out. I'm thinking about cuts and, and finish work and where the fireplace is going to go and, and all these details. And I'm in this project about eight to ten hours. It's around 5.30 p.m., and I'm lost in it. I'm consumed with it. And then all of a sudden, my phone dings. It's not a, it's not a phone call. It's, it's not a text message. It's not an email. It's a unique sound that I, I don't hear super often. It was a little bit of a bling. Okay, well, what is that? So I pick up my phone, and I look at it, and my stomach begins to sink because I forgot that I had other things going on in my life at that time, and I needed to be somewhere in about 20 minutes. So I threw all my sweaty clothes off and I jumped in the shower and I made it to where I needed to go. But man, aren't you thankful for those reminders in your life of where you need to be, those notifications? See, the truth is, is we all deal with notifications in our life. We live in a world that is full of technology. I mean, whenever you, you download an app on your phone or your tablet or your computer, you're always asked this question, would you like to enable notifications? And all notifications are, are a prompt to remind us of something or to lead us somewhere. We all deal with them on a regular basis, a daily basis. But we get to choose which prompts we listen to. And we think prompts or notifications are kind of a modern technology. But the truth is, is God provides prompts for us on the regular, in, in our normal everyday lives, God gives us prompts to remind us of truth or lead us to our future. And we're going to see that this morning in Joshua chapter 4. If you got your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there. Joshua chapter 4, if you're using one of the Northridge Bibles, it's going to be on page 171. And as you make your way to Joshua chapter 4, 
I want to start by welcoming you to Northridge Church. Whether you're joining us from one of our campuses or you're watching online or you're a guest here this morning, thanks for being here. Welcome to Northridge Church, and we're grateful to have you. And we've been in this kind of pinnacle series in the life of our church. This is a really a, a huge moment in the life of our church as we've been walking through this series called Gaining Ground. And in week one, two weeks ago, we talked about physical ground, the property at 780 Salt Road that God is leading our church to purchase to make our portable Webster campus permanent. And so we talked about the actual physical ground, the structure that God is using. But then last week, we talked about missional ground. That ultimately, this has really little to do with an actual physical property or structure or facility, but we're believing God's going to use this structure as a tool to impact many people's lives. More specifically, the 755,000 people who don't know Jesus, who live in our community and in our area. And this week, we're going to take a step even deeper into gaining ground, where we talk about the type of ground that actually gets us where we want to go. It's called sacrificial ground. And in Joshua chapter 4, I kind of want to set the scene for you. The Israelites, the nation of Israel, has been wandering for 40 years. 40 years they've been waiting to gain ground. They've been waiting to step into the promised land. And so they've been wandering and wandering. There's been this leadership transition. Moses is no longer leading. He's gone. A young leader named Joshua steps onto the scene. And they're gearing up to go conquer and, 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 and obtain the promised land. But there's a problem. They have to cross the Jordan River. It's flood season and the Jordan was moving rapidly and you've got to get about a million people to cross it without dying. And so they're kind of at this standstill and God provides this miraculous way to cross the Jordan. The priests carry the Ark of the Covenant to the Jordan. The Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence dwelt and the moment the priests stepped their feet into the Jordan River, it stopped flowing. And the entire nation walks across this river on dry ground. And right after that moment, right after that miracle is where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 4. It says this, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you will stay tonight. So right here we see God using two prompts. Two prompts to motivate, to remind his people and to motivate his people to the future. The first prompt was God's command. God commanded Joshua the Lord. He, the Lord spoke to Joshua and said, I want you to do something. He uses his voice. And how often in our lives does God, use, does God prompt us by using his commands? His commands through the word of the Lord, but by using his spirit to, to lead us. But then there's a second prompt in this story. He tells Joshua to get 12 men to gather 12 stones. The second prompt was the 12 stones. God was going to use a symbol to be a memorial, to be a picture of who God is and how he provides for the nation of Israel. And I think it's important that we recognize the difference of two prompts. Because in your life, when you navigate through life as a Christian, God will often prompt you in different ways. Sometimes it will be when you're reading his word and he'll command you, he'll remind you of a promise that he has in his word and it will lead you somewhere. But sometimes God uses the people in your life, like your community group or circumstances in your life to, for you to be prompted to something in the future. 
And so there's a difference here, and we see these two prompts. Let's see what God used them for. Verse 4, it says this. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one one from each tribe. And he said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulders according to the number of tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. And so God gives them two prompts, and then he reveals the purpose behind the prompts he gives them. And often in our life, when God uses prompts, he usually uses them in these three categories. The first is to reveal his plan. God prompts us, he, he, he uses something in our life to show us the plan he has for our life, for our church's life, or for individuals' lives. And he comes to Joshua and he says, here's the plan. Let me reveal it to you through my commands. Secondly, he uses prompts to remind us of his faithfulness through our obedience. You see, he says, take 12 stones. And these 12 stones were to serve as a sign for all the people. Can you imagine this? Walking past the Jordan River, watching the water stopping. And those 12 stones were to serve as a reminder for everybody who watched the miracle. When they saw those 12 stones, they were to be reminded of God's faithfulness and God's provision. And then third, God uses prompts to inspire future steps of faith. You see, the purpose behind these 12 stones was to remind of the faithfulness, but lead to future steps of obedience to faith. And in fact, it's not just for the here and now. It's not just for the people who saw the miracle. It's for the future generations. He says, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You begin to tell your children that God has been faithful. God always was faithful and he'll continue to be faithful. And that's what prompts are. They reveal God's plan. They remind us of our God is faithful and they lead us to future steps of of faith and obedience. And what's interesting about these these prompts is as we navigate through normal day life, we have prompts all around us. And I don't think we recognize them. Or maybe we don't call them prompts or notifications. But think about, for those of you who like to bake, you know that little simple ding that your oven makes when it's preheated? It's a prompt. To let you know, hey, it's time to bake the cookies. I could use some chocolate chip cookies right about now. (laughs) Think of photo albums. And have you spent some time looking at old photo albums and you walk through memory after memory and when you see a picture, it prompts you to remember a circumstance or a family member? You think of people who have tattoos. Everybody that I've met that wears tattoos on their bodies, often they are prompts of a memory of someone or a a memory of a situation that they always want to be reminded of. You think of our our nation. You think of America. There's prompts that are physical in in our country, like the Lincoln Memorial, and and you think of the Statue of Liberty to remind us, to prompt us, to be reminded of who we are as a country and what we stand for. And there's prompts all around us, a song that you hear on the radio that reminds you of someone you lost. It was their favorite song, and it reminds you of them. And when it comes to this moment in the life of our church, we're here at gaining ground. And we're ultimately talking about generosity. We're talking about sacrifice. And I began to just study this passage, and it triggered in my mind just 
remembering all the prompts that God has used in my life to teach me about those two things, to teach me about sacrifice, to teach me about generosity. And I want to share a couple with you. You see, the first one started when I was a young boy, and it started at a location. You see, for many of you, you probably will not recognize this place because this is the church building that I went to ever since I was born as a little boy. It's right here in Gelton, Pennsylvania, population right around 3,000, metropolis. It's at this country church that as a seven-year-old boy, I recognized that Jesus sacrificed for me and that I was a sinner in need of a savior and the only way I could have a savior was that he would die and give up everything for me. And it's through the ministry of this church that I'm standing here today because I gave my life to Jesus through this ministry. And I learned a lesson from a very young age at seven years old when I gave my life to Jesus through the ministry of this church is, is I learned that God doesn't need what I have. I desperately need what he has. The truth of life is God doesn't need us there's really nothing we can offer to God outside of who he is. And what I learned as a seven-year-old boy is because of Jesus' sacrifice for me, I am desperate for him. I am desperate for him, and I need what he has. He doesn't need what I have. And then my life continued, and God began to bring other people in it to strategically guide my life. You see, the next prompt in my life wasn't necessarily a location it was a person. You see, this man is Tony Nolan. He's an evangelist that goes around and speaks all over the world. He speaks at conferences and tours. But before Tony became a travel evangelist, before he became a, a, a little bit of a, a good speaker, this man came to this tiny Baptist church. And as a 16-year-old boy, I always thought growing up that I would go off to college and I would be a businessman in my father's insurance company until God used Tony because he was the first pastor that I ever heard make the Bible come alive, made it understandable. And I remember listening to Tony talk through God's word and being like, I want to be like him one day. And God used this man to really bring me ultimately why I'm here today, teaching you the word of God. Because God prompted me through a man and he called me and he changed the direction. And what I learned through the generosity of this man coming to this church building was that my life is not my own. At the end of the day, man, my life, I'm, I'm not here on earth to please all that I, to, to gain all that I want and to please myself. At the end of the day, God has me on this earth and he has you on this earth for a purpose. In fact, this is what 1 Corinthians 6 says. It says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And here's what I learned about sacrifice. Because Jesus sacrificed for me and I accepted that sacrifice, therefore, he was leading me to do the same thing. And it changed the complete direction of my life. But then as, as my life got longer, there's something I learned about sacrifice from a very young age. 
of what sacrifice and what generosity does in your life. And I learned it at a location when I was a six-year-old boy right in my family's living room. You see, this is in my parents' house. They still own this house today. It's a safe. And at this safe, I learned what generosity looked like, what sacrifice looked like, and what it can do in, in my heart, in my mind. You see, it was at this safe. When I, when I was six years old, around six years old, it was a good day for me. Because in my household, when you turned six, you began to get an allowance for your behavior. And so at this safe, me and my brothers and sisters, we would come to this safe, my dad would unlock it, and we would pull out our little piggy banks, which were in butter dishes, just like this one. My whole life savings used to be right here. And I remember as a six-year-old boy growing up, running to the safe with my brothers and sisters and pulling out, and you could hear the little coins jingling and jangling, and we would grab our little butter dishes and we would sit around our dining room table. And my dad would go through each kid and he would ask my mom, did Drew behave? Probably not. Was Drew good in school? Definitely not. <laughs> And he would go through this list of things and in, in, in based off my behavior. And after my mom was done, my dad at the table, there would be this transaction. He would slide me my allowance. And as a little boy, I would take the lid off my butter dish. I would grab it as fast as I can. I would put it in, in my dish and I would cover it. Because let's be honest, I have a younger sister who I couldn't beat up. And I had two older brothers who always beat me up and stole my money. <laughs> so sometimes you got to protect what is yours, Right? And so now, it was no longer dad's, but it was mine. And I held on to this, but my dad would always, and I hated this, he would always ask me a follow-up question. Drew, what do you want to give back to God? Now, as a six-year-old boy, nothing. <laughs> God's got everything. What does he need this for, Right? And my dad would always wait because it, he didn't want it to be his answer. He wanted it to be mine. And then there was this secondary transaction where I would now have to take the lid off of what was mine. And I'd have to give back ultimately to what was already and how it has always been God's. And from, uh, from six years old to now 32, it did something in me. It instilled something in me called generosity. And here's what I've learned over the course of 32 years of life, learning from a little stupid butter dish, is that sacrifice positions my heart to experience the faithfulness of God. When I live in a posture, in a position, when, when my heart is, is, is in this place where I live with open hands, it allows me to see how faithful and how God has provided over the 32 years of my life. Can I tell you, I'm a, I'm a living example of the generosity of God. Because from six years old to 32 now, I have seen God through the course of my life being faithful. He's been faithful to me then and he's been faithful to me now. And when we live this way, when we're okay with sacrifice and we're okay with generosity, it positions our minds and our souls and our bodies to see how faithful God really is. But that leads me to today, because I knew six months ago, a year ago, that this series was coming. In the planning process, I knew we were gearing up 
to ask, I knew that I would one day right now have to stand and look at four campuses, people watching online. I would ask the people who call Northridge Church home to sacrifice. And I want you to understand something about me as, as a leader, is I don't ever want to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do myself. And so I began over the course of six months ago to pray a small but yet I believe really powerful prayer in my life. I just said, God, what does this look like for me and my family? I mean, if I'm going to ask everybody else at Northridge Church to sacrifice, you better bet I'm going to be in the game too. And so I just, I just every morning when I read the Bible, I just said, God, what does this look like? What, what would you have me do? What would you have Ashley and I do in our family? What does that look like? So I prayed that over the course of a month, and I remember when God answered that prayer. It was, it was a normal day. I was coming home from work. It was about 6 p.m., and I pulled in the driveway. I put my truck in park, and I grabbed my backpack. And, and one thing I always do on, uh, uh, before I go into the house is I go to a specific location, I go to my mailbox. This is my lovely mailbox at my house in Rochester, New York. She's a beauty, isn't she? <laughs> so I came to this mailbox, and like I do almost every single day, I pulled down the lid, and I grabbed out the mail, and I walked into the house. My kids came up, and they ran to me. Daddy's home, and I threw the mail right where I always do, on the kitchen countertop. And we had dinner as a family, we had tubby-tubby time, kids got baths, and we tucked our kids into bed, and it's about 8.30, 9 o'clock, kind of that time where Ashley and I have together, and I went back to the mail. And I came to the mail, and I was kind of wandering through, and something you got to know about me, in our household, there's this kind of unwritten rule, daddy gets the mail. And it's not because I'm some tyrant or anything, it's just because secretly I think that I'm going to win a million dollars one day in the mail. <laughs> so I came to the mail, and there it was, one million dollars. You think I'm joking? I am. <laughs> <laughs> so I came to the mail, and I started going through it. And I came to this envelope. I knew exactly what it was. It was a statement for one of our retirement accounts. And something that I've always dreamed of from a, a, just being a young boy knowing to be a pastor is one day I, I just always wanted to retire early to say to the church, you don't have to pay me anymore. I'm going to do it for free. I've always wanted to be able to have the freedom to invest in my kids' children. And so I, I, from very early on in our marriage, Ashley and I, we set this goal and we've been putting money away in our retirement to make it happen. And so I came to the mail that day, and I've been praying this prayer, God, what does sacrifice look like for me? And so I opened that statement, and I knew exactly how much money was going to be in there. I follow it almost on the monthly. And I opened that statement, and I heard God's still small voice say to me, that is what sacrifice looks like for you. And at first, I, I saw the number, and my adrenaline was kind of rushing. I was like, okay, wow, God's speaking. This is amazing. Yes, okay, God. But if I'm frank and I'm completely honest, over the course of the next two and a half weeks, I did everything I could to convince myself it was a bad idea. I asked questions like, is this foolish? Is this wise? I wrestled with God. I was like, God, you gave me this dream, and now you're going to take it away from me. 
Like, what's the point, God? Why would you give me this? And why would you put this in my heart to ultimately lead me to give it away? And so I began to wrestle, and over the course of two and a half weeks, I just didn't know. And so I was like, you know, I probably should sit down with my wife and just see what she thinks. And so I told her the story I just told you. Babe, this is what I think God is leading us to, and I'm honestly so thankful that I have a strong, faithful wife who doesn't make decisions based off of fear. She looked at me and she said, this is what we need to do. And so we're going to give it away, all of it. And as we do, it's, I'd be lying if I told you it wasn't scary. I'd be lying to you if I told you I, I, there wasn't fear, and I'd, some, at some point I don't feel like maybe it's the smartest move in the world. But here's what I'm praying for my sacrifice, is I'm praying and I'm believing that my sacrifice will affect generations to come. I'm praying that God will use our sacrifice to impact not just this generation of Northridge Church, but the future generation of Northridge Church. Here's what I'm believing is, I'm believing that Joel, my daughter, Ruby Kate, my daughter, and Malachi, my son, I, I'm hoping that they see in me that I don't just love Jesus with my words. They don't just see me on a Sunday raising my hands and singing as loud as I can. I'm hoping my daughters and my son see that daddy loved Jesus enough to sacrifice for him, to lay it all down for the sake of the gospel. Because I believe this, parents, if you're a parent or a grandparent today, I believe our kids need to see genuine sacrifice in our hearts because that's the root of the gospel. And it will have an impact for generations to come. And we have evidence of that. I mean, look what, look what Joshua said. He says, in the future, these 12 stones in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? You get to tell them. And I'm just believing this. When I take my son and my daughters to 780 Salt Road, that will be the 12 stones for me where I say, sons and daughters, look at all God has done through our sacrifice. And it will instill something in my children and your children for generations to come. And we've seen God do it. You see, in 2010, when this church geared up to build the Arondacoit Auditorium, it's kind of a similar moment in the life of our church where people were sacrificing to see God do what only God could do. And there's a family, Jeff and Frey Mapes, who made a significant sacrifice. And it just didn't impact them. It impacted generations to come. Check this out. I'm Jeff Mapes, and uh, I've been at Northridge uh, since 1972. I came fresh out of graduate school, young Christian, looking for a church that would teach the Bible. About 2007, the church had grown to the point where um, we knew we needed to do uh, something big, uh, as in build a new building or make an addition or something. So just talking through some options with our campaign consultant. I remember him saying a number of different things, but. I don't remember hardly any of those because what I do remember him saying is uh, selling your house and downsizing. For whatever reason, that just caught me right between the eyes. That was certainly not on our radar. We had been in our house for almost 22 years at that point and really loved it, enjoyed it, uh, raised our four daughters there. When I came home after that meeting, I mentioned to Frey that um, this is what I had heard and so talked about maybe do we want to consider uh, selling our house and uh, 
downsizing. So we said, okay, let's now begin the process of, of looking for uh, some place to live. The other thing that was happening that summer was our daughter was getting married. Our oldest daughter was getting married and um, we needed, Frey needed to get to the point where she didn't have to think about house uh, hunting anymore and wanted to start thinking about weddings. We had pretty much said, okay, we'll just put this on hold and pick it up after the wedding. Uh, but we saw a listing in the, on the, online and uh, I decided it looked pretty good. We should probably take a look. And we uh, <laughs> drove up to the house and about an hour and a half to two hours later, we decided that we were gonna make an offer on this house. I was shocked. This was like out of left field, like what in the world? This is our house. We grew up here. We are not leaving this house. Like you can't sell it. Nobody does that. That was like a like thing in the Bible. People don't do that th these days. <laughs> and then I was mad, like, no, like this is my house too. Like, how can you make this decision on your own? You're like, you're not even asking us. You're just telling us it's happening. <laughs> I remember just yeah, being shocked. Where is this coming from? Why do you feel like God wants you to do this? We moved in there when we were six years old. We had so many memories there, like birthday parties. In the youth group, we'd have a lot of our friends from youth group. It um, was one of the houses where everyone would just come and hang out. Our graduation parties were there. And yeah, we, I remember like getting, like rededicating my life to the Lord in my bedroom. and you know, getting on my knees and writing in my Bible, like, I know for sure I'm saved now. I was like 12 and I was in that room. And so, yeah, vivid memories of um, that time in my life in that bedroom. When I got baptized, mom said, pick a family to invite to come over for dinner. So I remember sitting in the dining room and just even our kitchen, we loved cooking and baking and spending time together. And then just thinking about, well, but then I never get to like bring my family here, never get to spend another holiday here, never get to have another birthday here. like. How can you just give all this, all these memories are just gonna be gone. But they weren't looking for input from us. It was, this is what we're doing. On Commitment Sunday, we, again, it, that, was a, that was a very joyful day for our church and people were very excited. And again, there, there was a fear, are we, are we gonna be able to live this way? <laughs> but God had showed us in so many ways already how he had provided for us. I just recall, uh reading in, in Luke, just part of the working through the book, and I got to Luke 12, and there was a story about the rich man who had a really good crop that year, he had all kinds of goods, and he said, I gotta build bigger barns and I got so much stuff, and I'm gonna be able to put all the stuff in there, I'm gonna be good for a long time, I'm just gonna be able to take it easy. And God tells him that, uh, you know, your soul is required to me this evening, and now, and who is gonna enjoy that? It's not gonna be you. So Jesus summarized that by saying, this is how it will be for those that are storing up things for themselves but are not rich toward God. Being open uh, to God's leading, being willing to um, just take those first few steps and see where it goes, and, and God being so faithful in each step of the way. Even though we had some doubts on occasion and, and some fears about what this might mean, the, uh, the process and God working through that was just very, very clear. So seeing mom and dad being willing to give up their house just showed me and made me realize their level of commitment to wanting to, first of all, honor God and follow through with what he asked them to do and also just their support for Northridge. I count a huge blessing that I've been able to stay in Northridge has been my church for my entire life. And just to think of all the people along the way that have built into me and as the church continues to grow, um, to see that mom and dad 
their, their commitment to, we're gonna be a part of this and, and to help make that happen has made me kind of evaluate for my own life well, what kind of sacrifices am I willing to make? And just the idea of generosity, how what we have is not ours, but it belongs to God. And I think mom and dad being willing to give up the house is, is an awesome example of that. When we actually moved everything out, I think we all remember standing in our basement in the home we sold when everything was gone and uh, praying together and uh, realizing that it, it was empty now and it, it wasn't our home anymore. We walked through the house on the right before, you know, we were like gonna turn in the key and it was just an empty shell. And I was like, you know what? This, this doesn't feel like home anymore. We all stood in a circle and like uh, and prayed and sang a song and I was like, I can say goodbye to this. This doesn't feel like home anymore. We wanted to open that door allow other people to experience the blessings we did and what other people poured into our lives as young marrieds and young parents and into our whole family's lives and what God allowed our girls to become that we wanted to make possible for other people. Yes, they sold their house and gave that up. Um, but why? Like, why, why would they be willing to do that? I guess, you know, finally just coming to the realization it's for the gospel, for, you know, to see other lives change, to see, you know, Rochester become a city that knows God. Uh, there's so many souls that still need to hear, and that's why we're sacrificing, not just, you know, for a building or for, you know, it's not just about the physical structure, it's about people. Thinking about what God has done for us with Jesus and his sacrifice for us, that it, it is worth it. And thinking to this new campaign for the Webster campus, this building kind of reminded me of our house that mom and dad gave up, that it, um, it was just a building and just a, a place. And when it was empty, it didn't have all those special memories. But this new building in Webster isn't gonna just be a building, it's gonna be a place where there's a lot more stories of life change. And it will be exciting to see that God was doing that and that he gets the glory. Dad said over and over, you can't outgive God. You can't outgive God. Like, All right, but it seems like a house is a big thing. But that's what generosity looks like. That's what sacrifice is. What seemed like sacrifice at the time, looking back, God, God had a plan and a purpose through all of it. I remember we were, as we were building a building just before we put the carpet in, in the, uh, in the uh, worship center, um, we had a night where we wrote names of people on the floor that we wanted to uh, impact or verses that were special and prayed over that. God, I think, has, has made, made good on so many of those and, uh, and continues to bless and, and, and lead us. So we're just so grateful to be part of that. When you think about sacrifice, it leads to a lasting impact. I mean, I, I just believe this, that Jeff and Frey don't even begin to see the impact that their sacrifice has had on countless lives. In fact, we work with consultants on a regular basis in our church, and one that we've worked through through uh, the history of our church is a man named Tom Melzoni. And I've had some conversations with Tom in the past couple weeks, and he continues to tell me that churches all over America who have heard Jeff's story have been changed by it. Things that you don't even see, our sacrifice leads to the impact of generation after generation. And the church, when I say the church, I mean you and I, I mean the people. The church thrives when we are contributors, not consumers. 
And my fear as a pastor is that the church today has become so much about what we can get out of it, what we can soak in, and yet we need contributors who are willing to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus Christ. And the church thrives when we together become contributors. I mean, I'm so thankful for every person here at this church. This church is full of people who contribute on a regular basis. Not just financially, but people who are right now loving on your kids, who love on your students on the weekend. People who make this church happen from a weekly to week basis because they're contributing. And I want to give you a quick update. You know, we, we are gearing up to sacrifice. Next week, we will do Commitment Sunday where we will bring our sacrifice, our commitment cards before the Lord at all of our campuses. And as we gear up for that, I want to give you a little insight into how God has already been providing and how many contributors we have already. You see, as a leadership team, we asked a core group of people to commit early. We asked our staff. We asked our oversight team, which is our elders, our stewardship team who watch over the finances of our church, and then some core leaders in the life of our church. And we've had 91 commitments already. So to put it in perspective, we have 1,000 giving units in the life of our church. 91 of them have committed already, and we have already brought in commitments of $1.3 million. Can we praise God for that? So 91, can you imagine what God can do with over 900 more? what God can do through our level of sacrifice. Let me ask you this. What if you knew that you sacrificing maybe that cup of coffee every single day or that meal out on the weekends or that vacation or that boat or that tax return, what if you knew sacrificing whatever it is God leads you to would impact somebody's life for eternity? Would it be worth it to you? So as we gear up for next week, where as a church, we bring our sacrifices before the Lord. It's going to be a powerful moment in the life of our church. Here's what I'd ask you to do this week. And I really want you to lean in. I want you to take this seriously. I want you to talk about this in your groups. I want you to dialogue about this as a family. The first thing I would ask you to do is, is simply remember God's past prompts. And this week, as a family, as an individual, just look back on the history of your life. And look at how faithful God has been over the course of your life. Just take a moment and, and look back in your past and see God's faithfulness and his provision written all over your story. Maybe you remember the moment you said yes to Jesus. Where you recognize that his sacrifice has saved your soul. A wretch like me and a wretch like you. Maybe you remember the people God has brought into your life that have impacted you, that have changed you, the people in your groups or past groups that have steered you. Maybe you remember the moments as a little boy or a little girl that God instilled a truth in your heart that has never left. Man, what if we just look back at our story or we looked at our journal or we created a box of symbols that trigger God's faithfulness in our life. The truth is, is God is faithful. He always has been faithful and he always will be faithful. And sometimes it just takes us looking back to see the trace of his breadcrumbs to see it. Maybe that we do that this week as a family, as an individual, we just look back and say, wow, God, you're incredible, you're amazing. 
and you've been faithful. So we start there, we look back and we remember, and then I would challenge you this week to go on the journey I went on, to pray specifically Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, leading into Sunday, Commitment Sunday, that you would pray that prayer, God, what does sacrifice look like for me? What would you have me do? What would you have our family do? And as you pray that prayer, here's the second thing I'd ask you to do, is to listen for the prompt. Listen for the prompt God speaks in your life. At the end of the day, this is just a matter of listening to God in your life. Maybe you get rid of the noise, you turn off the TV, you create some space in your life, you turn off social media for this week, you fast and you give something up and you seek God with all that you have and you say, God, just show me. And when you pray, just turn your ear to God. God, what does this look like for me? So we remember God's faithfulness. We listen for his still small voice to guide us. And this is where it gets really hard. The third thing is where it's gonna stretch you. It's easy to remember, it's easy to pray, but the third thing, be obedient to it, even if it scares you. Ultimately, what I love about gaining ground in my life personally is it's caused me to take a leap of faith. And isn't that what our, the whole church is built on, faith? And so here's what I'm asking you to do is when God reveals what he would have you do, you just, be obedient to it. This is not a matter of me telling you. It's a matter of God leading you to somewhere where you just say, I'm going to take a step of faith. And it might scare me. It might be wild. It might seem crazy. But you know what, God? I trust you in the journey. And I want to challenge you, man. This isn't about you giving out of guilt. If you feel guilty, there's no, you don't have to give. I don't want you to give out of guilt. I want you to give, the Bible says to be a cheerful giver, that it's better to give than to receive. And I want you to give believing that God will use our sacrifice to impact people's lives for all of eternity. We're not trying to manipulate you by telling stories. These are just past people's faithfulness that has built this church. So next week, we're gonna come together and so I just ask you to remember God's faithfulness, to listen to where he's guiding you, and to follow Jesus and where he's leading you to. So our bands are going to come and sing a song. And I love this song because it really takes you back and leads you forward. The lyrics of this song says, we've seen you move, God. And, and haven't we seen God move in the life of our church? 130 years of history at Northridge Church of God's faithfulness, of God's work, of God moving in your life and in my life. We have a rich history where we've seen God move, but I'm standing here today and next weekend, we will stand here and we will bring our sacrifice, believing and trusting and hoping that God will do it again. That God will use our tiny bit and he will multiply it and he will use it to reach the 755 for the sake of the gospel. And so we're believing God will do it again. So as our bands sing this song, would you listen to the words and take them in?